Hey there, Michael Zuber, one rental at a time. And something I wanted to let you know about is a brand new podcast, a podcast that I was lucky enough to be guest number one. It is called Resilient Real Estate Investing. Do me a favor, go check it out. Just in the last couple of weeks, not only has my episode aired, but you heard from a syndicator who spent eight years in prison. You've heard from a movie theater operator who has had their side hustle produce 20 properties. Future episodes will record around the Roofstock's head coach, a college student evaluating properties, and of course, an army recruiter who discovered private money. Again, do me a favor, check out Resilient Real Estate Investing. On with the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. Michael Zuber, one rental at a time. And this is quickly becoming a fan favorite where the one and only Millennial Mike goes through scours my comments for the spicy comments, the deep questions. And uh, he brings it to me and it, it really allows me to go deeper, which uh, if you watch my channel, my favorite uh, response to a comment is usually one word because uh, I still do all my comments myself, uh, which is becoming uh, becoming a lot of fun. So uh, what did you find this week, Mike? We got some good questions. We got questions about the economy post the election, about wage inflation, about rate hikes, all sorts of different things. So we're going to start this morning with what effect the global information network, i.e. social media, uh, finance gurus being able to go direct to consumer, what effect will that have on this recession versus the effect that it had on the 0809 recession? So Michael and Haiti, the YouTube user, Michael and Haiti asks, Mike, one of the major differences in the 2009 crash and today is we didn't have technology and social media. In 08, 09, we only had cable TV for media. Now we have every person with a phone in their basement being a finance expert and sending out information in seconds on platforms. Most of it is erroneous and motivated by clicks for dollars. So Mike, do you see any difference between the movement of information to the public this time versus last time? What do you think that effect will be? So this is a great question, um, and I've thought about it a bunch. So I do think, uh, I do think, information is flowing faster, right? Social media in this context gets a lot of credit for that. I do also think misinformation flows faster. So it's it's kind of both both sides are true. Uh, I think echo chambers are uh, bigger or louder, or however, however you say that, because. I think one of the things that is behind social media platforms being faster is artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence or the algorithms start to feed you what you're hungry for. So I think that's detrimental. I think I think people like if you take a bell curve, I think uh, I think the algorithms force people to the edges, and I hate living in the edges. I think if you live in the edges, it's really easy to make mistakes. And when you make mistakes at the edges, they can be they can be pretty bad. I try to live in the world of gray. But to the context, yes, I do think information is moving faster. Um, I do think um, that it could that it, the, that the cycles could in theory be shorter, but they could also um, they could also be less dramatic, right? Which is a really odd combination, right? The two crises that I invested through as an adult was the dot-com crisis, which if you were in the stock market, like the stock I played with, it took like 12 or 14 years for it to come back, uh, you know, to be break, break even, right? Talk about a lost decade. The Great Recession for many markets was 10 to 12 years. 
it'll be interesting to see what happens this cycle because I do think information flows faster. But to this kind of point, I think a lot of the information is bad. I think about, for example, think about all these gurus in their mom's basements talking about a housing crash in 2020. There were real people that missed out on maybe the only chance they have to get on the property ladder because of these people. Uh, but still, there were a lot of people that did the math and, and moved forward. So I think there's pros and cons. I think net, net social media makes it go faster. I think that's a true statement. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, like you said, there's going to be people who push those to the extreme. But when I think back to 2008, 2009, in the recession, you know, you still had newspapers. We still had cable. You know, you had Jim Cramer, you had Peter Schiff, you had Wall Street Journal, New York Times. And you still get most of the extremely negative and non-negative takes, you know, people saying, oh, things are going to be fine. And then it crashed. People saying the end of the world's coming. And well, I mean, it was pretty ugly. Um, but with social media, yes, we had YouTube. It was two years old and Facebook, but it wasn't what it was is today. And I will definitely agree with you that I think it, that the new social media reaches a much larger audience and that you get a lot more young people on there as opposed to not many people that were in high school with me were really doing the New York Times like me. So <laughs> you're going to get a lot more kids, but but I think you're right. I think some of those same perspectives are probably going to get out there. So, okay, let's uh, move on to the next question. So this one has caused a little bit of a controversy in your comment section. People are confused as to why you keep predicting wage growth during a recession. So the YouTube user Labyrinth says, wage growth during a recession seems like an odd prediction. And John Z follows up with, Mike, can you explain more in depth as to why you think there's gonna be wage growth next year? And I assume the coming years after that as well. Also, do you think real wages will increase? Yeah, so there's a lot in there. So um, first off, kind of the end, yes. One of the ways out of this crisis that we're in is going to be real wage growth, which again, if folks don't know what that is, there's nominal wage growth and real. Real means adjusted for inflation. A lot of numbers in the media are nominal, uh, not adjusted for inflation. So that last tail end question, yes, I'm calling for real wage growth the next three to five years. Next, uh, how do you have wage growth in a recession? Well, the first thing you have is you have a mismatch of skills and experience, right? I think uh, what's going on right now, and we're actually seeing kind of this unfold if you look hard enough. I don't know if you've seen this, but in the last month, it's been recorded that college applications and MBA programs applications are way down. Well, uh, more and more people are moving to the trades. Right? It's a better exchange of capital. It's a better return on money, all of these things. I think what we are likely going to go through is two things. One is a white collar led recession, not blue collar. I think blue collar for the most part is okay, if not stronger. And second, um, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see wage inflation kind of from the bottom up. I think a lot of the last 20 years has been top down, right? The fact that CEOs make 3000 X, what an employee makes, that's not going to happen. I think unions will be stronger uh, anytime in my adult life since the 1970s. I just think it's all leaning towards wage inflation. Look at the 25% wage uh, growth that the um, railroad, uh, they actually declined it, right? They actually, the, they negotiated 25% increase in wages and declined it. So they want more. Uh, look at the Amazon, Apple. Um, I know I'm missing a couple of unions, Starbucks unions are coming around. So uh, labor is going to get more expensive. Uh, I don't, I don't see it any around. GDP is a, 
as a calculation on stuff, uh, while wages is kind of inputs. And when you have unemployment at three and a half percent, you have 1.6 job openings for every unemployed person. Uh, I think it's really easy to see wage growth. And um, frankly, even if unemployment goes up, you can still have employees clamoring for wage growth because their gas is more, their food is more, all of these things. So I think they go hand in hand. And I understand why it's confusing, uh, but I'm sticking with my call that, yes, I think we're going to have a recession. And yes, I think we're going to have real wage growth the next three to five years. So I'm going to use my uh, elementary school education when it comes to economics and ask a couple follow-up questions. So one of the arguments that people always make for why it's dumb to raise the minimum wage is, well, if you raise the minimum wage, all it's going to end up doing is down the line affecting prices because the, uh, the, the business owner isn't going to pay for it. So yes, if, re if real wages increase, wouldn't that still just lead to an increase in prices down the line? And wouldn't that contribute to more inflation? Can, but remember, if unemployment goes up, some of that will be distinguished because not everyone will be getting it. Some people will be employed. But yes, you're absolutely correct. When when real wages go up, it will be inflationary. We get inflation back to two, two and a half, three percent. You can have like if you have inflation at two and a half, you can have real wages at three, three and a quarter, three and a half. There can be a disparity there. Um, but yeah, that's basically how you do it. You get real wages to go up because the people that are employed get more, but you also have more unemployed. It's kind of that uh, paradox. Well, I definitely am always for wages increasing because I think that the working man needs a break. And I'll tell you, too. Um, Me too. I have a bunch of friends, you know, in their younger 20s that are in that making their dollar per hour, they're making that 20 to maybe $30 an hour. And what's been frustrating for them is they have not seen an increase in their wages. Meanwhile, after the pandemic happened, a lot of these McDonald's is and these lower entry level jobs have taken things from 12 to 15 to 18 to now they're in the $20 an hour range. My friends who are working at the bottom level entry level in corporate jobs, you know, are wondering, well, why am I doing $20 an hour work here when the burger flippers make it $20 an hour? So I think there's going to be pressure to move things upward. That, that's exactly what's coming next. Absolutely. The people that have like when you have to like I was a hiring manager for a long time. Right. And when you pay somebody you know, like your team makes 25 bucks an hour. Then you just hire some newbie that makes 25 bucks an hour. The people that are there at 25 want 28. And right. it just takes time to ripple through. I, I would hope your friends get a raise. I think they deserve a raise. I think they're skilled. And, you know, let's be very, very clear. Uh, wa wage growth today, if you stay at your job, last reported was 7.2%. Mm -hmm. However, if you take your skill set to a competitor, you make 15 to 18% more. So, uh, let's tell your friends to, to knuckle up and maybe go get another job. So, you know, uh -huh. let's go. <laughs> okay. All right. So this question comes from Alyssa McEwen and it's on 30 year debt in the country. And she goes, Mike, I'm curious, why haven't other countries also used 30 year debt? Why is it that only the U S is the one to use it? Yeah, I wish I had an answer. I've never studied it. I've never in my adult life, never appreciated, uh, how valuable the 30-year debt is because historically, right? If you go back and look at the interest rate chart, if, if rates are going like this, two-year debt makes sense because every two years you get a reset. It's a little bit lower. You feel a little better. Uh, I unfortunately believe uh, that we're in for a two, three, four, five year of rates going higher or at least being above where they were, which will hurt. Um, I don't know why. I don't, I, I don't know why we're the only... Um, only large country that I know of that has 30-year debt. It's um, 
Like if you have a a thirty year mortgage in the twos or threes, I mean you're 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 going to be smiling for decades. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, it's a great question. It'll be interesting to see if in two years, if it doesn't change, right? If Canada gives that option or or the UK or Australia. But to her to her question, I have no idea. I don't know why we're the only one. I I just don't know. All righty. Okay, here's one that I've titled, Only the Economist Can Explain It. So uh, Jessica Fries asks, why is there an inverse relationship between job loss and deflation? Is it because of wage inflation? Ask that again. Why is there an inverse relationship between job loss and deflation? So, um, or I think she's going with this is actually inflation, which she's calling deflation. So basically what I think she's saying is, why does job loss go up mean inflation goes down? Is what I think she's saying. And she's calling that deflation. Um, because you could, in my world as the economist, you can still have inflation, right? It's just less than it was before, right? Deflation is actually a negative number. Um, so basically it's, it's best summarized as demand destruction, basically. Right, you you have a job making twenty bucks an hour, you go on unemployment. You're now making I don't know. You get paid eight bucks an hour, just minimum, because unemployment's not a full replace of income. Um, you're just destroying demand. That's basically what happens. And if you take out enough demand, uh, supply stays there. And then if you have more supply than demand, prices come down, which is what we're going for. Uh, so that's deflationary, but it still can be in it's. It still can be inflation, but it's deflationary, which is, I think, where she's going. So basically, uh, simply said is you raise the cost enough, demand goes down. And, and just again, as an economist, demand's really a funny thing because most people think they know what demand is, and demand is actually a two-step function. Let's talk about houses. Let's talk about Lamborghinis. Let's talk about something really expensive. You may want one. And that is step one of demand. It is. Without, without a want, it doesn't count. But there's a second step in demand that most people don't re- appreciate is can you get approved? Right? Can you get approved to buy a home? Can you get approved to buy a Lamborghini? Whatever your thing is. And it's those two things that have to work together. And this is why housing is getting destroyed. Right? First off, the want. There was lots of wants last year. Not as many wants this year. Recession, scary headlines. The media has gone negative. As I like to say, there goes 2% of my competition, but also um, the can get approved, right? We've seen record demand destruction, right? At, by one count, it was 18 million folks that could get approved at three, don't get approved at six. Who knows what that is at seven? It's, it's, it's getting worse and worse. So yeah, it's, it's, it's basically demand destruction, unfortunately. Interesting. Um, Okay, post-election economic activity. John Sterling asks or says, I think inflation is going to start climbing again after the election. So, Mike, do you see any major shakeups or changes after this election? Things always kind of lock up a little bit before. People are afraid to make a big move that might piss off voters. Do you see anything big happening after, good or bad? Well, I don't know. That's a really interesting question. And the election is like, around the corner. So I I probably should have thought about this more. I guess my going in opinion is the Republicans are going to get one, if not both, which will create a a split government 
checks and balances. And actually, I think what happens post-election is basically nothing. Right. There's very few things that the Republicans and Democrats agree on to this day, which means we may get nothing for two years. It's kind of my going in. In fact, the only thing I think that Republicans and Democrats might agree on is housing is in a depression. Right. I think the numbers are going to get so bad in the housing market that if they do anything, if they decide to agree, which I don't think is it's certainly not my going in position, but if they do it'll be a first time home buyer program or some kind of lending structure or something, which is again, just going to come in and distort a market that, that we need to heal itself. The housing market needs to heal itself. It is in a depression or will be in a depression shortly. It has to get there, but that doesn't mean the government will listen. They could come in and do a credit or a program or something, but I guess my going in is um, we're going to have a split government, which means no more stimulus, no more spending. It, it's, it's gosh, we just, we got to heal. It takes time to heal. And, and uh, God, I, I hope the Republicans get at least one, if not both. Sort of staying on the same topic, we have a few more questions along the rates and things like that. So Fed activity, Kyle Manship, he asks, is raising the main rate, the Fed funds rate, really the only option the country has to lower inflation? That's hard to believe that we only have one option. Seems like 13 to 14 people in this country have a lot of power. Well, there are other options. You're just not going to like them. Um, again, what, basically what the Fed is trying to do is to the earlier question, take out demand, which means keep money out of the system, slow down M2. Uh, you could also raise taxes. You could raise taxes. Everybody's tax goes up 10%. That'll, that'll crush demand. You want to do that instead? That, that, is, that is absolutely an option. You could raise taxes. Uh, you could also cancel government programs. You could cancel healthcare, cancel the military. You could cancel spending. I mean, those are two other options. Not politically. So, yeah, those aren't expedient. <laughs> which, which is interesting because another one of your subscribers was asking about more stimulus or is there another alternative? So vital science says tax cuts are always a great idea giving people tax cuts who actually work for a living is better than free money nonsense for those who don't work. However, you need government spending cuts also. So I think what he was getting at was he's annoyed at stimulus, no more stimulus checks, no more stimulus spending. Why not just cut taxes if they want to give relief to the people? Yeah, I don't, doesn't, I don't know that that warrants a comment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's always options, always choices. Uh, last one here. Uh, let's see here. House Hunter 15 says Fed emergency meetings need to be a part of the discussion if we're going to try to fight inflation. An emergency rate hike would be a much needed shock to the system. There's no way we get inflation under control at this pace. I agree 1000%. 1000%. If I had a magic wand or if I was Fed chair for a day, I would do uh, a 75, 50, 75 something. I would do it on a weekend. I want to walk up to the market and kick it in the nuts. I want them, the market, to know that I'm in charge, not them. This constant want to tell the market what is coming so they can adjust and get ready for it doesn't help the process. I want to walk up and kick the market in the nuts. I want it to be a Saturday or Sunday so it can't react. I want to shock the system. Uh, I've wanted that for six months. You, you can go back on my channel and you can hear me beg for Powell to do something unexpected. I, I agree. It would be painful. It would shock. It would, 
it would be a limit down day, but damn it, we could start healing faster. I, I agree. All right, Mike, final question. Uh, this is a bit of a serious one from Daniel G86. He says, Zuber, I hope you have a costume that you plan to wear on the daily news for <laughs> Halloween. So what's the plan, Mike? What are you dressing up as? Uh, well, it's funny. I, I saw that uh, comment. Uh, I did see that one uh, when Dion wore his pirate costume. <laughs> I uh, I haven't dressed up for Halloween since I was, uh, I think I was 10 or 11. It's it's. <laughs> I like to be the guy given handfuls of candy. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big costume guy, but uh, yeah, maybe. You never know. Just, it, the Grim Reaper, because you're here to freaking slash people's investing dreams. Just cut them up. <laughs> that's hilarious. Mike, that's all the questions we had for today. However, people have been sending me videos for you to react to. And so for those of you who don't know, we do this part, but then we do the videos in a separate video together. Next, we've got two different videos, one from Dave Ramsey and one from Bigger Pockets, David Green. Folks, keep sending them stuff. Mike, I can't believe you do this for the channel. I appreciate you every week. Um, where can people find you? Just YouTube, Google, Instagram, Millennial Mike, and I'll pop up. Thanks, buddy.